May I invite your attention to um, the 16th chapter of John. John um, 16. Um, in just a minute, I'm going to read you, beginning at verse 25, um, through the end of the chapter. But before I do that, I need, um, I just want to tell you where we are uh, in your Bible, uh, in the New Testament, in the, in the, uh, where is this all, what's going on, what's the background? Um, what I'm about to read you are the closing words uh, of Jesus' last sermon to the eleven, and that Judas is, is gone. Uh, this is the last thing that Jesus will say um, to them. Now, if you've got your Bible open, you notice there's chapter 17. Chapter 17 is what's called the high priestly prayer. Uh, chapter 17 is not said to the 11. This is Jesus praying to his Father. So that's what 17 is. And then you'll notice at 18, um, he's betrayed, arrested in Gethsemane. So he is about to say his last few words to his followers. He's going to pray in chapter 17, and then he's going to be arrested. They're going to move to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested, betrayed by Judas, uh, tried, and then crucified. So that's where we are. That's the significance of these last words that I'm about to read you. You follow in your copies as I begin reading at verse 25, and I'll read through verse 33. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you, you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. 
Guys, um, handling these words correctly could take us in a variety of directions. For, for example, um, did you notice just some of the things that were said, like in, like in verse 27, a great statement in verse 27 uh, where he says, for the Father himself loves you. And then he says, he loves you because you got baptized. <laughs> Nonsense. He loves you because you lived a good life. Ridiculous. He says, the Father himself loves you because you love me. I mean, we could, we could really take off in that direction. Or, or in verse 28, when he talks about the, his pre-existence with the Father, oh my gosh, is that theologically deep. We could, we could, we could try that one on. And then verse 28, um, the disciples say to him, you're omniscient. I mean, we could talk about his omniscience, and you know, that would, that would really occupy us for a while. Um, those, are, those are all vitally important issues, and, I, and I'm not trying to devalue any of them. But I am saying, as for, even, as for me in my house, there, there's something here that, that I want to draw your attention to, because I think, I think a lot of the discussion about some of these heavier things uh, tend to get very, um, I don't know, they tend to get confusing and academically challenging, etc. But there's, there's one thing in this text um, that I think takes us right into the heart of the matter. And that's where I want us to go this morning. Um, at least in my opinion, the, the thing that takes us right into the heart of the matter is verse 33. Um, now, now, don't misunderstand me, guys. Um, I, I am one who loves theological precision. Um, I, I even love theological exactness and discussions about it. But I think this is something that's so much more... Um, urgent in, in the culture in which we, have, we now found our, find ourselves. Um, I, I want to show you something. Well, I want to read it again, just, just one verse, um, verse 33, because I, I think it is um, <laughs> it, it's something. He says, um, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Now guys, um, in the interest of fair play, I want to warn you. I am about to usher you into a crisis of faith. Um, that is... If you're listening this morning and not putting together your grocery list, if you're sane and, and in your clothing in your right mind, if you are not asleep, I am saying to you that um, you um, you better get your dukes up. This is um. This is biting. 
And um, I, I hope to show you just how so as we go along. <clears throat> Guys, um, let me tell you a story. When um, Susie and I were about to graduate from seminary, uh, I graduated in May of 75. So this is in, you know, fall of 74. And, um, and we're trying to figure out what we want to do after graduation. And um, uh, by God's kindness, we had several options. One of those options was uh, to, to continue my education and immediately go on to pursue my doctorate. And I had even, I'd, I'd already concluded uh, what I wanted my, theolo- my, my doctoral dissertation to be about. Um, I wanted to write a doctoral dissertation on this subject. The Messianic Consciousness of Jesus Christ. Now, doesn't that sound academic? Doesn't that sound theologically, I don't know, you know, some, some kind of um, theological virtuoso who, uh, who commands this enormous discussion over this very important issue? It really isn't. It really is really rather simple. Uh, let me tell you about it, or I can show it to you, whatever you like. It's, um, uh, the best place I think that you could see it is in, um, is in Luke chapter 2. Do, do you remember, you remember Jesus is 12 years old. Um, his parents, you know, by the way, uh, that's the year before his bar mitzvah. So Jewish families would bring their sons in a year before they had their own bar mitzvah to see how things went so that when they came back a year later, he would know what, what to do. And so Jesus is visiting the temple. His parents have brought him into Jerusalem. And, and so this, the whole group leaves, and um, Jesus' parents leave, and they discover, you know, we can't find Jesus. This is all Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 49. Um, you know that story. You know, you were taught that in Sunday school. And so <laughs> they're frantic, and they're looking around for Jesus and can't find him, and they come back. And I, I, in fact, I alluded to this last week. His mother and father um, come up to him, and Mary says to him, um, um, Son, why have you treated us like this? That's what I said last week. But his reply is in verse 49. And Jesus says this in reply to his mother. He says, um, What's the big deal? What are you so upset about? Did you not know, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? <laughs> you got that, didn't you? Uh, Joseph, who's standing right there, you're not my father. I'm here in the temple, and I am about my father, not our father, my father. Now, guys. That is messianic consciousness. As early as age 12, Jesus was aware of who he is. Now, it could have come earlier. And that's what I wanted to do with my doctoral dissertation is to to, um, look into um, the the issue of Jesus' messianic consciousness. When was he conscious that he was 
the Messiah. Okay, 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 okay. What does, that, what, what does any of that have to do with John 16? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, because um, you have just stepped into, perhaps with a certain temerity or uh, maybe, maybe unaware, you have just stepped into a crisis of faith. I warned you. Well, what on earth are you talking about, Dr. Young? Um, Guys, were you listening when I read this text? I mean, was your mind engaged as I read it? Um... Were you thinking when I asked you to follow me when I was reading you the text? Because, ladies and gentlemen, did you see, as I read, did you see what he claimed in verse 33? Did you see it? He claimed two things. Number one, Peace. Uh, all that stuff that we all so long for. He claims in verse 33 that peace is going to be found only in him. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I thought that peace was found in success. Or, um, I, 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 you know, a, a lot of material possessions. Uh, maybe even in alcohol. Maybe that's where you find it. Or maybe it's in fame, you know, where a lot of people think you're really great and say lots of nice things about you. I thought that's where peace was found. Well, that, not according to this, ladies and gentlemen. Not according to this man who says in Verse 33 of chapter 16, you will have peace in me. Now, oh, there's more. He goes on and he says, "Um, in this world, you'll have tribulation. No, boy, don't we know that. And then he says this. Oh, this is the coup de grace. He says, um, the words are, be of good cheer. But if I could just paraphrase him, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the tribulation that you're going to have in this life. Because, you see, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of man says something like that? Um, And and this is not the only time that he says stuff like this. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, 
He says, blessed are you if you're persecuted in my name. Uh, you know, and, and men say all manner of evil against you and, you know, and curse you and persecute you and kill you and all that. Uh, blessed are you <coughs> when it happens because of me. Or how about the John 6 passage? Oh, there's several things in John 6. On, on one occasion, he steps in front of his audience and he says, um, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, then, then, then everything's going to be uh, okay. What, what I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, this man, in John 16 and elsewhere, believes that he is the Messiah. As early as age 12... He makes this outrageous, outlandish statement that he says, well, I mean, I don't know what you're upset about, Mom and Dad. I mean, because, you know, did you not know that I was going to be about my father's business, my father's business? And Mary and Joseph walk away from that and they say, what do you think he meant by that? Because, you know... And then he says, bluster you, you're persecuted in my name and, and uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. All this, all kinds of stuff. But here in John 16, verse 33, he says, listen, folks, you're going to have a lot of hardship in this life, but don't worry about it. I know you suffer. I know there's pain in your experiences, but don't worry about it. Because I have overcome the world. Guys, what kind of lunatic says something like that? Um, at the very least, he's an utter megalomaniac. You know what that is? You know, somebody who has megalomania. I mean, a megalomaniac, a good example is when you lead a group of people of seven or 900 to Guyana and you get them all to drink grape juice that is laced with cyanide and all 900 of them die. His name was Jim Jones back in 1978. That's a megalomaniac. This, this guy in John 16 has stood before his audience and he said, listen, I know you're going to have troubles. I, I, I understand that. But don't, don't give them another thought because I have overcome the world. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what would you think of me if I stood up here on a Sunday morning and said to you, hey, ladies and gentlemen, I got a little news for you. You know, I'm a very holy man, and I have overcome pride. <laughs> you'd, you'd snicker. Or, or if I were to say, <clears throat> don't worry about this sex-saturated culture that we live in, I have overcome lust. 
you, you, would, you would snicker and you would say, honey, it's time we found another church. That guy has lost his mind. Jesus Christ stands before his audience and he says, not I've overcome pride. Not I've overcome lust. I've overcome the whole thing. The whole thing. All of it. The world. I, 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 I've, I've, I've overcome the whole thing. And, and, and think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, when he says that, there's no huge army standing behind him like Napoleon or Alexander the Great. I have overcome the world. And look back there, you know, there's a huge army. Um, he says, I have overcome the world. And <clears throat> he's not got a whole lot of money like a Bill Gates. Oh, I have overcome the world and I have $47 billion in my, you know, my checking account here to show you. <laughs> you know, during the NBA finals, um, Golden State was up on Cleveland. I think it was three to two. And, and um, they were going to uh, uh, California to play the Warriors. And I, I saw LeBron James say, um, well, we're going to win because um, I am the greatest basketball player in the world. He said that. Well, you know, he probably is. But Jesus didn't say anything like that. He didn't have some great athletic ability and, and uh, look at his audience and say, I, because of all of my physical prowess, I have overcome the world. No, 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 no. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, you think about this. In a matter of a couple of hours, maybe just 60 minutes, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be, he's going to be betrayed and then arrested. He's going, to be, he's going to stand trial, found guilty, and crucified. And he, that one, him. No army, no money, no athletic prowess stands in front of his audience and says, I've overcome the world. Are you nuts? I, I, maybe. Maybe he is. Or he, he just may be um, a whole other category. Here are your options. He's either a lunatic, a megalomaniac, a, um, he's nuts. Or, second option, he's an outright deceiver, which of course is possible. Or, or he's God in flesh.
Thus, your crisis of faith. Welcome. You are squarely smack dab in the center of a crisis of faith brought to you by Jesus of Nazareth. Every rational person here has got to make a choice. You have, by the words of Jesus Christ, been dragged into a crisis of faith. Because with those words, in John 16, verse 33, you got to make a call. Um... So who is he? Ladies and gentlemen, every non-Christian in this room and everywhere else in the world has chosen either option number one or option number two. That is, he's a lunatic or he's a liar. Um, that's fine. That's fine if that's your choice. That's fine if you're right. The world has done such a masterful job of marginalizing Jesus Christ, of of poo-pooing him, um, of of just ignoring who he is and what he said and what he's done. Um, But with statements like this one in John 16.33, that thing... That thing exposes you. Ladies and gentlemen, can you see how irrational it is to to know that Jesus Christ said, don't worry about your troubles, I've overcome the world, and you ignore him? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're any kind of intelligent thinking human being at all, you've got to do more than that. You've got to conclude that he's a lunatic or he's a liar or he has indeed overcome the world on your behalf. Guys, um, if option three is the correct option, and you marginalize him, you do realize what the consequences of that are, don't you? You will perish everlastingly.
That's your call, ladies and gentlemen. But I need to say this. Every time you hear somebody like me stand up and talk about Jesus Christ being a whole other category or being God, every time you hear something like that and you dismiss it, the heart goes more into it. It gets harder. It becomes less likely that you will embrace the Savior ever again. And let me just add this too. Um, If option three is correct, that he is God in flesh, if peace is only found in him, if he indeed has overcome the world, then he's not just someone you ask into your life to be your assistant. He's not asking, ladies and gentlemen, to be your intern. He's demanding to be your king. The king who saves and the, and the king who commands and the king who expects obedience. He's demanding to be your highest loyalty in life. If this is the one who has indeed overcome the world, then there is only one spot that he rightly occupies. The highest loyalty in your life. One more thing and and I'll quit. How did Jesus overcome the world? How did he do that? Well, the simple answer is by his life, his death, and his resurrection. You know, everybody's concerned, and rightly so, I think, about Islam. Um, Do you know how Islam wants to overcome the world? By compulsion. By the sword. By, um, by conquest, by power. But Jesus overcame the world through a wondrous act of self-sacrifice. He overcomes us by beauty. When when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I'm overcome by beauty. You know, there's a there's a song that we sing around here, and um, and I'm gonna sing it, some of it. Um, this was written by Augustus Top Lady. He's written a couple of songs in the hymnal, but we sing a couple of his. And um, this one, uh, a debtor of mercy, to mercy alone, a debtor to mercy alone. That's the one we sing. This was uh, Spurgeon's favorite hymn. Um, 
and I'm not going to sing, but I, I just want to sing the, 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 um, the second stanza, the three stanzas. I just want to sing the, the, the second one with a little bit of commentary as we go. Listen to this. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if he started that work, he's going he's to finish it. His promise is yea and amen, and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above. Nothing in the future, nothing in the present. Nothing above us, nothing beneath us, nothing can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. beauty overcome by beauty has he overcome you yet if not the tribulations that this world has to offer are nothing Compared to what awaits you. I invite you to the one. Who claimed. That he's overcome the world. On, part, on the behalf of his people. Let's quit. Our father. I, I do pray that you will. Um, uh, bring every soul. To, to a point of Stopping as they consider claims like these, claims that are made in the light of which we must all make a decision. We've, we've got to, to determine whether he is that or whether he's something else. Would you produce, Father, that crisis of faith and use it to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the one who, um, who told us that the Father himself loves us because we love him. We do love you, Lord Jesus. We are sorry we love you so little. But um, would you grant us grace that we might love you more? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.